Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. An error of judgment, broadcaster Marty Morrissey reveals that he is the Ortiz staff member that had a car on loan for over five years. And as the Ortiz payment scandal reaches its 15th day, Ryan Tuberty and his agent Noel Kelly agreed to attend two Oireachtas committees next week. And incoming Director General Kevin Backhurst speaks publicly for the first time. My job is to restore trust. Clearly, that's been severely damaged, and again, I apologise for that. But that's my job, you know, is to restore trust in this organisation. As Ireland lose to France tonight, as controversy surrounding Vera Powell's time with American side Houston Dash threatening to overshadow the Irish squad's World Cup build-up. It is nonsense, it's untrue, and uh, as I said before, there's great safety in the truth. And our panel will be rounding up some of the stories that you may have missed. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. New boss at RTE says his job now is to restore trust in the organisation. Incoming Director General Kevin Backhurst was speaking after a meeting with the Media Minister Catherine Martin today. But separately, it's been confirmed that Ryan Tuberty, whose payment sparked the current controversy, will appear before the Oireachtas Media and Public Accounts Committees with his agent Noel Kelly on Tuesday. And this evening, it also emerged that GAA commentator Marty Morrissey is the staff member who was loaned a car, an issue that came up during the media committee hearing yesterday. The presenter has apologised for what he described as an error of judgement. So two weeks in, the RTE payment scandal continues to dominate the headlines. It's resulted in five concurrent investigations, protests from over 200 staff and widespread condemnation from political leaders. And tonight we asked Garda headquarters about an Irish Times report that Garda were reviewing complaints made about RTE to see if an investigation was warranted. In response to us, the Garda Press Office said that any complaints received would be examined to see if an investigation was warranted, but no such probe has begun. Well, here to discuss the latest developments is Chairman of the Public Accounts Committee and Sinn Féin TD, Brian Stanley, Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley, journalist and author Stephanie Preisner, and journalist Michael O'Regan. You're all very welcome along uh, to the programme. I want to come first to that admission from Marty Morrissey about the loan of a car from Renault over a number of years. And this focus on a staff member's use of a car came into question um, because of the question that you asked the interim director uh, general, uh, Adrian Lynch, at the media committee yesterday, Timmy Dooley. Uh, Marty Morrissey described it as an error of judgment. Are you satisfied with this account? I am, but I'm not satisfied with the answer that we got from RTE because the questions that we'd asked last week and again this week was, were there car ambassadors 
getting um, car allowances from uh, RTE. Um, that hasn't been answered. And Marty Morrissey in his statement has made it very clear he's not in receipt of a car allowance. And what we were concerned about was that RTE was finding ways of evading the publication of what they're paying to staff and to certain representatives. This is and when you look at salaries and the separate salaries, line, yeah. about 25,000 yeah, which, 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 which they sent to us. And the, the question I asked was, salaries. were there people who already had a car as car ambassadors getting car allowances? Were there people getting car allowances that didn't have a car, didn't even have a driver licence? And the response that was given was, oh, yes, there's one. And it created this notion that there was a car loan and it was handed back in recent days, etc., etc. But when you read Marty Morris's statement, he's not, he, he, he wasn't the subject of the question at all, in mm -hmm. fact. So I think he has been thrown under the bus to some extent by RTE management. There's no issue here of any licence fees involved uh, or any public monies involved. He's identified it was unwise. Who amongst us hasn't been unwise on occasion? Um, but like, it's moving away from the central theme here, which is, goes back to the Noel Kelly situation, that RTE set about the creation uh, of a series of events to effectively evade the publication of the payment of monies to an individual. And then they're throwing Marty Marcy into the middle of this and there's absolutely no connection Well, you asked, you asked the question, um, were any personalities at RTE in possession of a car as a result of being a brand ambassador? And getting paid a, a car allowance. Because I was trying so to make the that's what you were specifically asking, uh, because people were wondering, did you have particular information about this car arrangement that Marty Morrissey no. may have had that prompted you to ask that question? No, I didn't. Um, and quite frankly, what, and, and you can go back on the record and check, what I was trying to establish was, because there was information during the week, and I think there was uh, an announcement about it, about a brand ambassador uh, having a car from Toyota, I think it was in that instance. And what we were trying to get to was, well, could it be the case then that people like that are also getting a car allowance, which would quite frankly be wrong if you're being provided with a car from some other source for whatever reason, and then RT using taxpayers' money to pay you a car allowance. That would seem wrong. And that was the question. And that's what we were trying to elicit. And it turns out that an individual, Marty Morrissey, um, has been pushed out in sort of tabloid-like format. And truthfully, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't the response to the question at all, because when you look at the question, it's clear... Um, that you couldn't uh, suggest that Marty had any. Well, you did do that follow-up question when you said just how long, you know, when was the car handed back? Yeah. And we heard yesterday. Now it's yeah. since been clarified that, that wasn't yesterday, correct. That wasn't meaning correct Tuesday, either. was in fact yeah, when when yeah. um, management were informed about this car arrangement. But as far as, far as you're concerned, uh, Marty Morrissey did nothing wrong. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was he wasn't the subject, nor anybody like him. If there's others in the same boat. They're not the subject of, of where we're trying to go here. It's about trying to establish the management practices at RTE in terms of how they use public money uh, and, 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 and how they use it in a clandestine way, which is what they did in relation to those payments from the barter account. And we were just broadening that out, trying to get more information. And I think, unfortunately, you now have sort of tabloid headlines around somebody which will detract from the central uh, theme, which what Brian and others will be trying to do, I su suspect, next week, is trying to get to the detail who knew what when um, about these clandestine arrangements on, on the barter account. Do, do, you, do you have um, any issue at all, uh, Brian Stanley, on that particular car use given to a member of staff um, from a car company uh, described as an ad hoc arrangement over a number of years? I think it's ad hoc. Um, it's like a lot of other things that we've noticed and that's come to light with RT in the last fortnight. I, I think, you know, Marty Morrison, for, just to say this at the outset, Marty Morrissey, 
Marty was given the car uh, because he was he was doing events. That is, you understand it. He wasn't receiving a fee for. Uh, the, you know, default doesn't lie with him. Default lies that with the with the system or lack of systems within RTE. The fact that this wasn't registered, the fact that it wasn't authorized by management, and the fact that ma uh, management didn't have a handle on it, it shows a chaotic system of governance, a, a chaotic system of financial management, and it just it's further it's further evidence that uh, Kevin Backhurst, when he starts next Monday. He really has a huge job of work in front of him. They did know about these particular MC events, though, at, at Renault with GAA players. And Marty Morrissey said he did inform RT management uh, did. about that. He did. In fairness to Marty Morrissey, in, in fairness to Marty Morrissey, he did do that. And you know, as far as he was concerned, you know, he, I suppose, you know, he's not an accountant. He's he's a presenter. He's a commentator. He's a journalist. You know, so he was doing his job. But the the, the fault lies here. With the, with the absence of proper systems of control of governments and of financial management and, as, and of asset management mm. within RTE. That's where the fault is. We have, it's, it's chaotic and it's, and it's absolutely scandalous what's going on here. OK. Um, when you hear all of that, Michael, and when, you, when you've listened to proceedings and watched proceedings over the past week, last week in fact as well, uh, what, what are your thoughts? Is this, is this really um, annoying people? We're hearing the word sickening when it comes to how staff are feeling at RTE at the moment. General public, how do you think they uh, feel about this? And indeed, you know, these revelations, and how Timmy said that Marty Marcy was thrown under the bus here, but th these revelations about, you know, car use by a staff member, you know, from a company... Uh, undeclared as such for five years. Well, Marty jumped out of his Renault and he threw himself under the bus, I think, in this instance, in that he failed to OK the car, the use of the car with his bosses. Uh, now, in all of circumstances, it wouldn't look great because of the public, uh, you know, the public service element of, of RTE, paid for in part by the taxpayer, etc., etc. But in the current circumstances, it looks terrible. But I give him, I commend him for the very full statement he made this evening and he put his hands up uh, and so from that point of view, I think he's rescued his situation somewhat. Uh, but it, it, it looks bad. And uh, Brian is right, a lack of governance, the fact that he didn't tell uh, his bosses, although, as you said, he did tell them about the appearances he made on behalf of the company. Uh, I think uh, it, it, the public anger is huge. And it's among people who have faithfully paid their licence fee over the years uh, and expected more from RTE as an institution. And the anger, of course, of the rank-and-file workforce in RTE is very, very obvious from the public meetings they've had. You know, the NUJ and SIPTU have made their views uh, uh, very much known. And I think we're entering a crucial week next week. And what um, Noel Kelly and Ryan Turbody have to do before the committees on uh, Tuesday is to put their hands up, uh, uh, eat humble pie and apologise in the same way as Marty Morrissey did this afternoon. Also, I think Ryan Turbody has to pay the money back as a gesture. Now, there's nothing illegal about what happened, nothing at all. And, you know, you get this stuff on social media about illegality and corruption. There's none of that. What there was was concealment and the payment of a massive amount of money mm -hmm. to one member of the RTE person, an RTE person at a time when others were facing cutbacks. There's a lot of talk about the skill of Noel Kelly as an agent. Uh, I must say, I don't know how this guy had the influence he appears to have had in the corridors of RTE. Uh, and also, it could be said 
That's why he negotiated. Well, like, as an agent, people will say he had the skill because he was doing the job an agent does, which he, is get, he, getting the most he can for his client. He could clear, but on the other hand, it could be said that if he had a broader view of matters, he should have been concerned about the public image of his client at a time when people were grappling well, with COVID and cutbacks and all that kind of thing. I suppose, I suppose the thing. thing with all of this is that now we will have um, Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly before the Iraq this, um, committees answering those sorts of questions and we'll want to get more on that. Just before we get on to that, I want, I want to just talk about um, Kevin Backhurst and what he had to say uh, today um, in giving his first public statement, not even in the job. He's starting Monday, but already he's, he's had a job of work to do in the run-up to this, uh, Stephanie. Um, my job is to restore trust, he says. What does that involve, do you think? Like, how, how do you do that? That's not something you can simply do overnight. No, and I, and I don't think that he even thinks that he's going to have to do it overnight. But I think one of the things touching on the points being made here is that he's going to have to delineate between what is scandalous here and what is a circus, you know? Because I think all of the media around all of this has made certain things sound scandalous that are not. Like, it is not scandal. I don't think, personally, what has happened with Marty Morrissey is scandalous. It's not a scandal. I don't think it's a scandal that... A corporate department of RTE had uh, have a private membership in Soho House instead of their London office. That's a hundred and something euro a month. It's I don't think it's a scandal. Lots of scandalous things have happened, and it's become Isn't such it a circus. It's all about the context of you know when this Soho someone broadcasting. What, what was happening in, in, in the broadcasting department, Absolutely. what was happening in the newsroom in terms of And that's of potentially about communication, that RTE can send a memo being like, by the way, we have, a, we have a membership in Soho House if you're in London and you need, like, you don't need to be using a bathroom, you know, like you can use this. Or, or the, the department spending 100 and whatever euro a month to let them broadcast from London in a safe space. And I know that there's budget cuts and that's, the, that's where the anger is, but I don't think that... A, a corporate, like you can't have meetings with corporate bodies in, in a cafe Nero. You can, but it's going to cost you more than €100 Euro a month. OK, aside from that, though, all the Sorry, details so that have Kevin, emerged around what was called, described as um, Celtic Tiger extravagance and the spending. And as I said, you know, everyone talking about the, the, the €5,000 spent on 200 pairs of flip-flops for a summer party. Mm -hmm. All of the, Do you think all of these just fall within, you know, the job you do when you're trying to sell... Uh, ad space? I do. I think the amount of ad space, like the amount of places someone can advertise now with the internet and, and all of it, like you have to work really hard to get clients to invest in your company and return year on year. They, I think Geraldine O'Leary stated that she had what she had brought into the company in her tenure was like 1.6 billion, don't quote me, and she had spent one thousandth of 1. that. 1.6 million through, 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 these, through barter, these barter through accounts. These barter and accounts. when you look at those numbers, like any company, that's, that's not a but scandal. But isn't the, isn't the issue here that it, it's partly public funded, that yes, we have a dual funding model And that's an issue here. for government. So you're, you you're nodding away with what Stephanie has to say, and yet, you know, at the media committee, you and your and, and fellow politicians were grilling RT executives about this, this very spending, about these trips um, to, yeah, over uh, to Japan for the World Cup and other matters, yeah. and spending uh, thousands of euro on, on the likes of flip-flops I think parties. if you look at my contribution, I complimented Geraldine O'Leary and I said that she had a really difficult job because she's running a commercial division. And there is no public money involved in what she was doing. That's the money from advertising. And whilst I agree totally with what Stephanie's saying, it's somewhat salacious when you start seeing all these elements of spend. And is it problematic? Well, I think... It, it's a, it's a necessary evil of the cost of doing business in that commercial world. 
And what Geraldine O'Leary and her team have been successful in doing is maintaining the level of income at one point, whatever it is, 140, 150 million a year, maybe a little bit more, um, at a time when advertising is going to uh, the social media platforms. Now, she does, she does have to do things then that are maybe somewhat... Uh, it, it doesn't look great to people looking at it from the outside, but it's part of... So that you don't sector. have any issue with it? You have, like, I have I'm... huge issues with the way in which the company is run. I have real issues when we're seeing the, the lack of controls. I have a huge issue with the way in which Noel Kelly uh, was able to do business and the way in which it was paid. If it's properly reported and it's there for everyone to see, and in fairness to Geraldine O'Neill, she came okay. in and she gave all the details. She could have held that back and she could have claimed commercial sensitivity like they did on other sides. So we've got to be... We, we have to put balance here. If you're suggesting that we can somehow split out the commercial from the public sector broadcast, well, then we're going to have to find an additional 150, 160 million a year from taxpayers, and I'm not so sure that the okay. taxpayer wants well, to carry well, that. Listen, what what advertising to... agency is influenced by a lavish dinner in a Drumcondra restaurant and a, a trip in a coach to see a concert in Croke Park? Evidently, Renault. Uh, uh, or... Obviously, a certain amount of socialising and entertainment is required, but hardly on the scale of what was going on. All right, OK. Look, I want to just talk about um, a, a, something that was that was brought up and, and garnered a lot of headlines, and this is around Toy Show, the musical. Um, you may have heard about it. Um, some 11,000 people went to see it. It was a massive loss. There 2.7 million euros spent on that show at the convention centre with losses of 2.2 million. Um, Alan Hughes uh, joins us on Skype now, uh, pantomime producer and TV presenter, of course. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for joining us on the programme. You're going to put your, your pantomime hat on, I suppose, tonight and not speaking as a, as a TV presenter, but, but simply as someone who is producing pantomimes, producing shows around the same time as Toy Show, um, the musical came out. Uh, when we heard details about this multi-million euro spend on a show uh, and the aim to make money out of it, what, what was your reaction to that? Well, Claire, my first reaction was that the committee yesterday were saying that the, the Toy Show, the musical, wasn't in competition with Pantos and other shows, and they were aiming towards the bigger Broadway-style shows. I mean, who in what world were they living in if they thought that putting on a musical at Christmas is not in competition with Pantos and other shows that are going on in Dublin at that time? I mean, that's just ridiculous to, to even mention that at the committee yesterday. And then, like, to say that when you see the money that they spent on it and the advertising, the free advertising that they were able to get. I mean, remember, the, the entertainment industry was decimated two years before that. The theatre was dead for two years. Last year was our first year to try and get back onto some kind of normality to get audiences back into theatres. And the RTE decide, in their wisdom, to put on the, the Toy Show musical, uh, right in competition with everybody else, with the might that RTE have, and then for them to say that they weren't in competition. And then when the money that was being spent on it, when I saw those figures, I was absolutely aghast at the money that they thought they could get return on, first of all. I mean, for any show that has never been tried or tested to come out and go, do you know what, lads, we're going to get an 80% return on this. We're going to get 80% audiences. The, we're, I've been doing Panto a Car for 25 years, and it's our 25th anniversary this year in the National Stadium. If we got an 80% audience this year after 25 years, I would be so delighted and going, that was a huge success for us. 
So how or who was giving this advice to these people going that on a show that's not tried, not tested, you're going to get an 80% capacity audience into that convention centre. It's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. Did you see it as an unfair use of public money then to have, um, I suppose, this show going up um, against other shows around Christmas time and also that it would be based sort of in Dublin or would a wiser spend maybe have been to take it on a roadshow to try and test it with audiences around the country in smaller venues? It would have been, to me as a producer, it would have been a much better idea to bring that show to the INEC Killarney, to Galway, to somewhere like that. But to put it on in Dublin and then to spend that money, like I, myself and Carl, like our production company, we're a small production company. We spent thousands with RTE every year in radio advertising. And then for them to say, and then they were putting their Toy Show musical ad in the same ad break as the Panto ad that we were paying for. And when I actually approached RTE about this, I was told it wasn't it wasn't a commercial enterprise for them if they weren't paying for it. So that was and they start quoting all oh, these rule books that they were allowed to have X amount of spending for free to promote RTE shows. I mean, they had they, they were weeks or months advertising that show. Like if 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 we were to spend, I, I kept asking if you were to spend that money, how much would it cost? And of course, they were saying that was sensitive right. and they couldn't tell us that. Okay, but well, there is no way would any production company in this country be able to spend or would have that budget that RTE were able to put ads well, on, that, on, okay. on their TV and radio All right. stations. Alan, thanks for joining us. Uh, we know, of course, the spend now and we know the losses as well. Um, Brian Stanley, we did hear from RTE saying, you know, Moya Doherty said that there was an agreed strategy between the board and the executive um, was to, to produce 50 live ticketed events by 2024 as part of extending their revenue streams and getting more money in. Timmy spoke about, you know, RTE needing to generate more revenue and this was their way of doing yes, it. Yes, and, you know, the, we've raised it with them in the past and, you know, just for the record, we have raised this tie show with them from the Public Accounts Committee going back months and months ago. We've been seeking answers in relation to this and we haven't been getting very clear answers. But, of course, it surfaces again now in the middle of this scandal. And, you know, the the couple of things that, that stand out for me is, is that, you know, that here they are putting on a show in a crowded market, uh, you know, because all the other Christmas pantos in the middle of a cost-living crisis, uh, the absence of a partner already in the business of you know, theatre and drama. And, you know, just the... And the, the one thing that hasn't been explained to me is just the sheer number of freebies. The fact that nearly half of the 20,000 tickets, as I understand it, were, giveaways. were freebies. OK. So, I mean, it's not... You know, what can the market research was done? And we've asked them this question months ago from the Public Accounts Committee. And, and Claire, just to say this, we've got no answers to it. I think that, you know, there's a complete failure here on the part of strategy within RTE. Uh, the, you do take risks with commercial commercial venture, uh, when you do a commercial venture. I understand that, and that's necessary. But this was doomed from failure. And, I mean, the convention centre, for God's sake, like, you know, trying to fill that. A huge I mean, venue. Yeah, it okay. should have started smaller and had partners All right. um, in, uh, already in the business. OK, we were talking about, we were talking about what's happening next, uh, next week, and uh, this will be Ryan Tuberty's first public address since the scandal uh, broke, Stephanie. What way do you think he'll be approaching this committee hearing in a way that will satisfy his colleagues... Um, the public, how do you think he, he must approach it? I think he must approach it with complete honesty, transparency and, you know, 
volunteering information rather than it being having to be dug out of him. I'm surprised that people are continuing to be so, I guess, compliant or helpful to the committees with the way that some of them are being spoken to. Your own colleague, Imelda Munster, some of her behaviour during the week was almost like she was trying to start a bar fight. You're like, how do you expect people to come in and be witnesses and give answers when you're going to speak to them like that? And, you know, you could see that her colleagues were kind of embarrassed and apologetic about how she was being treated. But I would hope that with Ryan and Noel next week, they are not intimidated. I'd say by... Imelda Munster, you know, to, just to, to defend her because she's not here to defend herself, would say she was trying to get answers from but the But there community. were plenty of... I thought I, she was I, very good. I, I watched she was excellent. three yeah. days and of that and there were plenty of people getting answers who were, you know, who, who were probing and angry and, you know, who got the answers with some decorum that wasn't as aggressive as she was Brian, being. what would you say I, to I, that? Not, this is not at all she wasn't aggressive. What happened was, if you go back and look at the clips of it, she had to persevere, she had to pursue them, uh, they prevaricated, they sidestepped the questions on many occasions. And I, I had to intervene on a number of occasions to try and get answers for members of the committee. And I mean, Imelda Munster was, you know, they really tried to uh, obfuscate and not answer the questions. The way to answer them is, you know, be direct. And, uh, you know, and I would say this in terms of Brian Tuberty and Noel Kelly coming in, and I would say this in relation to any witnesses, is come in, don't try to uh, don't try to sidestep, don't try to bluff, don't try to uh, you know be reticent about giving information. Come in, be upfront. The committee will treat you. They will be robust. Of course, they're going to be robust, but they will treat you with respect. And it's my job as chair to make sure that they are. And Imelda, I mean, if anybody else was in that position, I mean, members of the public looking had said to me they would pull their hair out of if they had to be in Imelda Munster's position or some of the other uh, TDs in terms of the questioning. This is because of the, because of the reticence and the difficulty in getting answers from the witnesses. And, that's, and Noel Kelly and Brian Tuberty, if they're listening to this, they need to come in on Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock. I've been anxious to hear from them. So has the other committee members. You know, it'll get a fair hearing. They have their side of the story. We've heard everyone else's over the last fortnight. Well, we haven't heard everyone. We, we haven't heard everyone's well, side of the story because we're still waiting to hear player, from, well, from the main players but, and, uh, and others. Of course, we haven't D Forbes because of medical reasons, and that's fair enough. But what I'm saying is, is that we've heard, you know, most of the main actors at this stage. We need to hear Noel Kelly's side, and we need to hear Ryan Tuberty's. And I think that this will this will help fill in a lot of the gaps for us. OK, well, we, we will hear that uh, next Tuesday in two sittings from the Public Accounts Committee and also from the Media Committee. We will have to leave that there for now. Uh, my thanks to Brian Stanley and to Timmy Dooley and Alan Hughes, who joined uh, us on Skype tonight. We've got much more still to come after the break, so do stay with us. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. Stephanie Breisner and Michael O'Regan are still here with me. I'm also joined now by sports journalist Daniel Hussey. Uh, you're welcome along, Daniel. Well, we're going to go to this story of Ireland um, playing tonight in a friendly against France this evening in Tala. Uh, they lost 3-0 in their final friendly at home tonight before the Women's World Cup uh, competition in Australia. France scored two goals late in the first half and then added a third in the second half after poor defending uh, by Ireland. Well, there you go, a 3-0 defeat. Daniel, I want to come to you on this first. We're going to, we're going to broaden out this discussion because we want to talk about the, the controversy surrounding uh, the coach of the national team, Vera Pau. But on this particular uh, result tonight, 3-0, uh, pretty heavy defeat. Would it have been expected? France certainly favourites going into the match. Yeah, they were heavy favourites. And just to give people a bit of context, they'd be the fifth favourites going into the World Cup, ranked fifth in the world. So it was disappointing. Look, and Vera Pau, and we'll get on to her outside... Um, outside of the Ireland team, but she's always asked to play against the toughest opponents and get the best possible test for these Irish teams. It's the only way you'll grow, in her opinion. So it's not too disappointing in the context of that fifth team, fifth best team. We're, it's the last game we have in Dublin before we go away to Australia. There'll be one World Cup warm-up game in Colombia. That'll give us more of an understanding of it. So I wouldn't overly be worried about One thing to know, Kitty McCabe did hobble off after 30 minutes. Um, the talk is she's just rolled her ankle, but obviously she's the captain, she's the leader, she's probably our best player. So um, that is probably the most... I'd be more worried about that rather than the result. But um, look, France are, as I said, one of the favourites going into the World Cup. Always, uh, slightly always, disappointing. Always yeah. a concern as well when you see those injuries and friendlies just before such a big campaign <laughs> as this World Cup. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that now because Republic of Ireland manager Vera Pau has been forced to refute allegations of misconduct once again ahead of the team's departure for the World Cup. Uh, Will Dalton has this report for us. It's meant to be an exciting part of the World Cup journey, but once again, allegations against Vera Pau during her tenure of the Houston Dash have spoiled the atmosphere. In a report published in December, it was alleged by a number of unnamed ex-Dash players that Pau body-shamed players and behaved inappropriately when she was in charge. Ahead of the friendly with France, Pau was quick to defend her position and claim the support of her squad. Of course, I spoke with uh, the leading players um, and um, yeah, they, they all said, and they came individually to me, that they hold my back, is that the right? Hold yeah. my back. Um, and that nobody, I've asked specifically if they've ever experienced anything. And um, we're going to a World Cup. And they said, so they said, no, never. Katie McCabe, the highest profile member in the squad and captain, said she couldn't speak for every player, but she felt her manager has always acted professionally and has her heart in the right place. We've argued with each other, of course. Like, you're never going to get on 100% with your manager at times. She pushes me and I push her. Um, so, in, in my opinion, um, and from my personal relationship with Vera, of course, yeah, we've, we've clashed many a times, um, but we're always professional enough to, to make sure we are fully focused for the team um, and we know both of our, our hearts are in the right place in terms of wanting what's best for the Ireland women's national team going forward. Pau's disappointment of the issue coming to the fore again was evident throughout the press conference and she believes there are double standards at play with the alleged claims. Well, go through, through the allegations and just put Pep Guardiola or Louis van Gaal or Mourinho in that, then you would actually laugh about it because it's all about coaching. It's all about coaching. It's not about anything else. 
So I don't want to go into the details because um, it, it is nonsense, it's untrue. And uh, as I said before, there's great safety in the truth. Both Powell and McCabe reiterated throughout their focus would not be drawn away from the upcoming World Cup. That was Will Dalton reporting there. Well, we contacted Vera Powell's lawyer, Thomas Newkirk, who issued a statement uh, to us saying that Vera is committed to defending herself fully and completely and will return to that task after the team's historic efforts at the World Cup. And Daniel, on this, Vera Powell um, was in charge of the US National Women's Soccer League Club Houston Dash from November 2017 to September 2018. And she was named in that report mm. that Will mentioned, um, compiled by the league, who are investigating widespread misconduct. And this is where these allegations came up. She has rejected each of those allegations. Yes, she's rejected each of them. And it's important to note that in that report, there are a lot of really serious allegations. Vera Powell's will be on the lesser side of that. It would to do with things Players were sort of saying, like, in terms of diet, that she would be very controlling of their diet. Now, Vera Powell would say, uh, similar to what she just said in the press conference, if there was a male coach, that they, uh, as a coach, she would have to be in charge of the diet and watch them players' weight, that sort of thing. It's based on performance. But look, there were a couple of allegations. There was a couple of physical altercations that a number of players mentioned happened. Um, that probably has crossed the line a little bit. I would urge people to read the, the, the article that, that was released on Monday was in The Athletic. Um, I would urge people to read it because there is a lot of stuff in it. It's a long read. And as it touched on there, a lot of the allegations, you, you probably, I personally, my personal view, they're not that serious. Mm -hmm. However, there were a couple that probably do cross the line there. And they do and she refutes, and she does refute all those allegations. Does, I think yeah. it's very uh, important to make that point. But Stephanie, on this, um, and I mentioned her lawyer there, Thomas Newkirk, and, you know, he, he, he has spoken about that and he has staunchly defended Vera as saying, you know, when it comes to these allegations that are made, he has brought gender bias into this and the issue that if it was a man who was simply a male coach who who was, who you know, controlling the diets of players, deciding on the fitness regime and, and how the team should be managed, there would be no problem there. I but because it's a female coach, then there's a different perspective that comes in. And the interesting point is that there is a different perspective that comes in even from the player themselves. Like if uh, he has represented over 200 female coaches in the States because these allegations are rampant when it comes to female coaching. And it's not just the media or the public that say, hang on, that's an issue. It's also that as a player, if I'm a football player and my coach is female and she's telling me you need to lose weight, gain weight, change your diet, do this. I experience it in a different way than if it was a male coach saying it to me. And there is gender bias there. Now, I believe that if anybody makes an allegation about anything, we should investigate it. I don't think that they should just be dismissed. But on this one, I do call gender on it. I think that there is, we have a completely different perception of how a woman should coach, how they should manage, how they should nurture talent. And when a man is a coach and he is aggressive, like you see it all the time, coaches screaming at players, you know, like not, not getting physical, but, you know, their behaviour is aggressive, but then they're called leaders and they're, you know, they're leading the way. But when women do it, it's seen as aggressive or that they're too much. And I... Yeah, and similarly, the point was made that when it is, um, uh, and this was the argument that's been put forward by uh, Vera Powell's representative, is that when it's a female player, that then there's, there's, a, there's a tendency to be more overprotective um, about, you know, allegations that, that a female player is also making mm. and that there's sort of a patronising element to that in how people respond to those allegations, Michael. It's, yeah, it's, it's a very... It's, I actually I found, I found it very interesting about how 
all of this is being approached. Obviously, it's, it's a widespread investigation in the US when you have 200 female coaches that have either been dismissed or sanctioned as a result of this investigation. I agree with Stephanie. I think it is a, a gender issue. And I have a problem with somebody criticising a coach for talking to players about weight and diet. It's about physical fitness. I mean, Jack O'Connor is managing the Kerry team at the moment. They're on the cusp of retaining the All-Ireland. And I wouldn't say they're having cosy chats every evening, you know. Mm. Uh, GA managers, for instance, consult dietitians at times. Uh, and they're very conscious of physical fitness. Now, that means you don't put on weight. It has nothing to do with your appearance or anything like that. It's simply about being uh, competitive. And the same with diet, obviously. And I think if it was a male manager managing a, a, male, a group of male players, that there wouldn't be the same level of con controversy. Now, I'm not a, I don't know about the authenticity of the more serious allegations made, but certainly in relation to weight and diet, uh, it's about physical fitness. Yeah, I, I suppose we don't know. And that, like within the, there are allegations about how, how players felt um, that was all approached and players who may, you know, have issues and uh, again with, with, with eating or otherwise and how, and how that was done and their individual allegations, mm. I suppose, being made um, in these instances, um, which is still, uh, I think the lawyer is looking for a reinvestigation and a reopening of this entire investigation. Um, Stephanie, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, I was just saying that he's looking for he's looking for these allegations not to be based in feelings. You made me feel like that. That you can't dismiss how somebody is made to feel. But what were the specific things that were said or done that made you feel like this? Because your feelings are not facts, and you can't try to basically destroy somebody's career because of how you felt. And I do think that you made me feel as a sentence, would not happen with a male team and a male manager. I do think manager. there were references as well to specific incidents. There we were, don't have full not detail with of them, it yes. as well, but there were, there were references to specific incidents. But, but broad, more broadly on all of this, there's also been criticism about how this has sort of overshadowed the yeah. World Cup campaign. It's the last thing players really need, isn't it, in the run-up yeah. uh, to such an important event? Yeah, my biggest thing with it, look, with the FAI in December, having got the report, I think they probably should have done their own internal or an independent investigation, even something as simple as checking in on the players individually, which didn't happen. I think if that happened in December, it wouldn't have taken away from the World Cup. What's happened, in, what's happened here is we've had this timing. You mentioned the timing for players. It's terrible. Like you even saw uh, Katie McCabe yesterday. She actually touched on 30 minutes. That well, I heard there was 30 minutes in the press conference, only three questions about the World Cup. And Katie McCabe had a little pop at uh, some of the journalists there. I think she's very frustrated because she is the face of all this. We obviously haven't heard from all the other players as much, but even these women for being, becoming the first ever women's team to qualify for a World Cup, first ever Irish football team in 20 years, 21 years to qualify for a World Cup. And even all the stuff that happened with Celtic Symphony, they apologised mm. unrefusedly for, but Chloe Mustaki on Sky Sports News was able to hold her on hold her own when there were some education jibes coming from the British presenter. So I think the Irish public have taken to it. My reading of this is there. They're just annoyed with the timing. We, we understand the allegations you mentioned. There are one or two, the physical ones, that probably need to look, be looked into. I think post the World Cup, the FAI probably need to sit down and do their independent review. They've sort of buried their head in the sand a little bit with this. But overall, yeah, a huge sympathy for the players. But look, it's, it's an exciting time for the Irish team. They're going to qualify for that. They have, they're going to the first World Cup. 
and, ever in the women's and it's exciting like and know. the very the very very best of luck to them and I hope Katie McCabe is certainly okay yeah, um, after crossed. that after yeah. that injury tonight and again Vera Power refuting all those allegations that are made um, against her we will leave that there for now uh, my thanks to Daniel lots more coming up after this break including some of the week's other big stories do stay with us Pfizer and Michael Regan have stayed with me to discuss some of the other major stories of the past few days. And up first, Israel launched its biggest military assault in the West Bank in years. Twelve Palestinians and one Israeli soldier were killed during the fighting. And that's all happened in recent days, since Monday, in fact, Michael. Um, and we heard from the UN Special Rapporteur Francesca Albanese saying it's heartbreaking to see a new tragedy unfolding in Janine with the aerial and ground attacks against a refugee camp. You'd wonder with this level of devastation, which is the biggest assault, that, you know, coming back from this in that region, it, it's very, very difficult for the people there. And you would just wonder, um, you know, we see conflict all over the world, but yet again, this is this is one conflict that, that never seems to near any sort of resolution. Yeah, it's intractable. I mean, it'll, it'll calm down and then it'll surface. And you have uh, some pretty horrible uh, stuff. And uh, it's difficult to see... Where the resolution lies, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, this will fade and pass and then in time will surface again. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's one of those intractable international issues that uh, seem incapable of solution. Yeah, and at the same time, with the level of destruction we've seen from all of this, we know that there's, you know, issues with food and, and water mm, now and in, in Janine and yeah. supplies and all the rebuilding that must go on after this, as well as the lives lost, that really, you know, that, that, that international efforts and international eyes really should be looking at this, despite, you know, everything else, as I say, going on in the world. We do have this, this conflict that, um, that, that uh, comes up in headlines like this and then is it ignored again. Yeah, it's, it's a humanitarian issue as well as everything else. And aid, of course, is a, is a big factor here. Uh, but it, it's... I agree with that. I agree that the international community should perhaps focus more on it. Mm. But there is a tendency, I think, sometimes, not maybe even deliberately, to, for countries with power and influence maybe to stand back a bit. Yeah. I think that is one of the large issues when it comes to Israel and Palestine, which is that, you know, Europe sees it as a... This is sort of a land war. We can't really get involved. We don't know who's right, who's wrong. We're going to stay yeah. back from it. And the fact that it is intractable and it comes in waves means that the the human interest components that grab us in the media, that keep things in the headlines, isn't there. And people forget about it and they care less. And then the, the, that drive to find a solution isn't there. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really, really tragic. It is. Um, I want to talk uh, about matters back home now. And we heard, I suppose, we had several things going on. We had the economic statement, which normally make massive news, which, of course, with everything going on in RT, seemed to be sidelined a little bit. But also this GP deal, um, which means, uh, you know, more free GP care. Mm -hmm. Now, doctors themselves, even though this deal has been struck and agreed, according to Stephen Donnelly, are worried about the strain that it's going to put on their, their surgeries and that the wait times will get even longer. Is it good news all round, though, do you think, Stephanie, in general? In general, on paper, it's great news. Free GP care for children up to and including the age of seven now, which has been which has been extended. But what I've been hearing on mainly, because I announced it on Instagram today just to give people a heads up, and people were like, yeah, that's all well and good, but I can't get a GP in my area. 
I live in rural whatever and I cannot get a GP there. Their books are closed. So I'm saying like, okay, write to your local TD. Like you have a right to healthcare, you know, you need a GP. And people saying like, I'm pregnant and I can't get a GP and I need like continuity of care or domino scheme or whatever. It's, it's, it's quite frightening. And myself, like I had, uh, I've had the same, I had the same GP for a number of years. And then my husband moved in with me and then he couldn't get a GP and they wouldn't let him in. But anyway, we've moved to a new GP. But mm. like trying to get a GP, it's like trying to find childcare. And so, yes, on paper, it's great. But it seems like the GPs are not going to be able to keep up with the influx and we don't have enough GPs. So it may put pressure on a system that's already on its knees. Yeah, uh, yeah, you would worry about that, wouldn't it? All, all the big promises that are there and, and all very well intentioned. But when it comes uh, when it comes down to it, how accessible this will really be for people, Michael? Yeah, very Popular, well-intentioned, uh, desirable in many ways. But uh, the problem is the availability of GPs. It also could be said, of course, uh, that now there is some money around at the moment in the Exchequer. But it could, al could also be questioned whether it's the best use of resources mm -hmm. at a time when you hear of children waiting for very, you know, for surgeries, for sur very important surgery, uh, where you have A&E, uh, the, the ongoing uh, problems with A&E. Uh, and... In problems, high summer, right, it continues. indeed, even in the summer, and problems right throughout the health services. You know, you've uh, with the occasional horror story. Uh, you would wonder yeah. if it's the best use of resources. All right, okay. Um, I want to talk briefly because we we were talking about you know uh, climate change and the climate realities with El Nino. We've had the, the hottest, the world's hottest day on on record this week, and at the same time, these protests taking place at Wimbledon, uh, just stop oil, um, coming out and trying to you know break up uh, proceedings and upset people's strawberries and cream. I just find it tedious beyond belief like I just which like, the protests the protests the protests I don't think but aren't we aren't we talking about them in the context of, of the climate reality we're in yeah we are talking about it does that mean that you're going to change anything does anyone listening we're talking about it it's filling column inches we're talking on panels but that's not going to change a single person's approach to their use of oil or their climate how they behave when it comes to the climate that's not how people change their minds Doing that annoys people, it irritates people, it actually sometimes makes people so opposed to the issue that they act indifferent, in, in, like in the opposite way. If you want to be at the decision-making table, you need to box clever about it. You don't want to be shouting in the window when people are at the table, you know? And this I guess the seems... protesters would say we've reached that point that we have been knocking at that window. We have been trying to get our message through and this is the way to get the message through, Michael. Well, I, I, I thought it was deft, intrusive. Uh, you know, interrupting a sporting event being enjoyed by so many people. Uh, and uh, it, it reminded me of the people in Ireland who mm. protest about various things. Quite legitimately, we'll see outside the Alairn, but then they put a picket outside the homes of politicians. So you, you see it as that, that, I step, see it that as step two, that kind of overstepping the mark on this yeah, one. Yeah. Can imagine, can imagine if on a, we'll say All-Ireland Day or whatever, you had a group of people walking onto the pitch and crow park, you know, they'd be booed off. I suppose if no one is harmed in, 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 the, in these sort of protests, aside from garnering a bit of attention... Is there, is there harm to them? There's no harm, but there's no... Like, you're not making... No, you're, any, you're making you're no progress, making I agree. making no progress. Okay. All right, irritating. that's the decision of our panel anyway. We're going to thank everyone who came uh, onto the show tonight. That is it from us. Um, our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok. Uh, but from all the late team here, good night, take care.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.